when you work in radio, there's certain um, big name people that you want to meet and interview. And actually, when I lived in Cambridge, there was this thing called the Cambridge Union at the university where a lot of speakers from around the world came to talk. Uh, and they'd invited Robert Downey Jr. Uh, and he was turning up in person. So on that day, I was driving quite far away from Cambridge, about 45 minutes away. Uh, I was going to London and on the way I got a phone call and they said, oh, um, Robert Downey Jr., there is a space and you can interview him and you've got to get here in the next 45 minutes. And I was exactly 45 minutes away. So I turned the car around within the speed limit, completely bombed it along the motorway to try and get back to Cambridge. And just as we were approaching Cambridge, there was a huge, the world's biggest traffic jam. And I thought, I'm not going to make it. They've, uh, they've told me that I can meet Robert Downey Jr. Now I'm not going to make it. Welcome back to Drive With Us Podcast. I'm Bob Neat. And I'm Taryn G. And we got our first UK driver for this podcast. I was going to say this yeah. season, but this podcast. No, just this whole podcast. Yeah. So today's driver is Chris Farrow, and he also is a BBC radio presenter. He used to drive a whopping 40,000 miles per year. Like, that's a lot. I feel like here we are, we drive three hours, round trip commutes each, and I thought that was a lot. Yeah, like, I was going to say, I thought us driving three hours every day. But 40,000 miles a year, I barely hit, I think, 25-ish a year. Yeah. So he drove double that in a year. A little less, I mean, than double that. But still, 40,000 miles, wow. Insane. Exactly. And I feel like sometimes driving, especially when you're commuting to work, is not as fun as when you're just driving for fun no nope. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. because i don't know i just feel like traffic gets more on your nerves when you're just going to and from work as opposed yeah. to when you're going somewhere yeah if you're like going on a road trip or something and you're like i got all the time in the world and it's like nothing's gonna bother me yeah and then you have a long day at work an hour and a half back home get stuck in the worst traffic and you're just like uh, and a single lane road so you can't even go around i mean you could go around but yeah, that's a lot. I, I can't imagine doing that. I, I'm trying to reduce my commute here. <laughs> but, well, he doesn't have to do it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well, enough about us. Let's meet today's driver, Chris Barrow. He co-hosts the Work-Wife Balance podcast with his wife, reads the news on BBC Radio 3 and the BBC World Service. He is from the UK and used to drive 40,000 miles a year all around the country to present shows on BBC Radio and along the way, he has had some interesting driving encounters. One which made him almost miss an interview with Robert Downey Jr. Welcome, Chris, to Drive With Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to be on. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited since, as I mentioned before we started, you're our first UK driver. And yeah. I'm excited to know your perspective and your experiences driving in the UK. Um, I've got to represent the UK here and I'm just <laughs> going to say now that my driving is not the same as all UK drivers. I've had some crazy stories, so I'm happy to talk to you about them. Before we drive in, okay, I do this every time, before we drive, <laughs> before we dive into your crazy driving stories, let's get to know a little bit about your driving experience. So what are some of the places that you've driven and where are you currently? I'm uh, currently living in a place called Epping, uh, which is in a county called Essex in the UK, which is famous for TV shows like The Only Way is Essex, which does seem to go globally around the place. So maybe some people have watched that. 
and it's kind of quite near London, about 30 miles out or so, quite central to the country. But for the last, I would say, 10 years or so, I've been driving all over the country for my work, which is being a radio presenter um, for the BBC around the local stations all around the country. So I used to drive 40,000 miles a year, which is a long way. Uh, and I used to live in different parts of the country and I used to travel to these stations and it, sometimes I'd drive two and a half hours, four hours was the longest I used to have to commute. And then you turn up, do this radio show and then drive four hours home. I can't imagine driving that much, especially continuously doing like four hours one yeah. way. Oh my God. Yeah. So I'll give you that. That's the example. When you wake up at 1am, so you haven't really been to sleep. Uh, and you have to travel for four hours in the car. You have to arrive at 5 a.m. Uh, and then you've got to kind of get yourself ready for an hour before the show. And you go live, say, 6 or 9 a.m. And then you drive home after that and get home at 1 o'clock. And that's assuming you don't have a break at all. You've got to pull over occasionally and give yourself a 10-minute break. But if you do that on the way, you get later and later towards showtime. So sometimes if the traffic's bad or if there's a diversion, it gets pretty tight. Yeah, I thought we had it bad with our, we have one and a half hour going and one and a half coming back before hours. Oh. <laughs> like that's, it's, that's worse than ours. To be fair, I only did that for a few weeks. So you do like a week and then you had time off and stuff. So it wasn't like every day, but I did drive two and a half hours both ways for probably about three years of my life. Really a long time. Yeah, that's how I managed to rack up 40,000 miles. Did having to drive this much make you start to hate driving or do you still enjoy it like what is your relationship with driving <laughs> I, I hated driving with a strong <laughs> passion I have to tell you that you feel like you're stuck in a little cabin and you can't escape um, and I used to have tactics to get through this two and a half hour drive so after half an hour there was a McDonald's drive through so I'd stop and get coffee number one possibly a breakfast wrap if it was the right time of day and then I usually try and get through the rest of the two hour journey in one run. Uh, and getting there was always fine because I was excited to do the show and excited to talk to everybody and see everybody in the office. But it was on the way home where it was such a struggle. So you, you'd stop off after half an hour to get a coffee and I'd always end up buying a packet of sweets. And when you eat a packet of sweets five days a week, <laughs> it's a recipe for... Uh, not being as thin as you'd like, let's say. And then I'd try and get home in, after that two-hour run. Uh, but sometimes I'd have to stop again because I was just so tired, so tired of the driving. Uh, I hated it for a, a while. But I'm sort of falling back in love with driving now. I, I'm enjoying it at the moment because I don't have to do as many miles these days. So it's a happier time for me. Yeah, I agree. Having to commute for that yeah. long will definitely make me hate driving more. But if you're doing it for enjoyment or like going on a road trip, it's way more fun. I did. I have done road trips where the you know like a five-hour drive you can get quite easily over to France actually from the UK for crazy coronavirus times. Uh, you could drive down to Dover and then get on a ferry and hop over the river and drive down France. And I've done that a few times before, uh, and those are really good road trips. For some reason, actually, it's a good point, isn't it? Why do those five-hour journeys not feel as bad as some other ones? Why is it when it's fun time driving that, that you can sort of really enjoy it and hit the open road, whereas if you're going to work, you're sort of thinking, oh, when will this journey end? <laughs> yeah, maybe because it's new and it's not the same old over and over and over again. <laughs> I think it's that, you know, I think it's totally that. When you know that the A46 
has two roundabouts and then you've got to overtake the lorry in the right lane quickly otherwise you're going to get stuck at 50 miles an hour the whole it, it gets a very boring process when it's every day yeah have you ever been in a car as a passenger and you're like oh my gosh this was an absolute terrible idea i shouldn't have gotten yeah that's a good question i think i have been i've been given lifts before for work short distances uh and i've been quite scared but my friends of mine aren't very good drivers actually <laughs> i don't want to dub them in by name but i think the people who drive shorter distances are much worse because they haven't got the practice and the experience of going around the place and i used to live in a place called cambridge you might have heard of cambridge university mm-hmm. And the roads there are designed for bikes and not cars, really. A lot of my friends used to drive around Cambridge uh, city centre. And because of there's so many cyclists, you have to be on high alert all the time. And the speed limits are 20 miles an hour as well. So really, really slow. And that is always uh, not a fun time. I used to try and like grab onto the door and the, the roof to give the car like structural integrity just in case they there was any danger that they might crash or something like that but luckily i've escaped so far wow i yeah i don't think i've ever been in a place like that where there's more bikes than there are cars oh, um, here, yeah here in the u.s the roads are way more open so yeah. we don't really have that issue but i can imagine like i've definitely been in cars can i ask you guys what it's like out there because i'm so interested because i've never been to the u.s and i really want to go and i've heard that it's like wide open roads and you know a lot of people do like route 66 and stuff like that and i like the idea of it all but what's it like is it kind of like easy to get around the place because it's quite a rat race over here (laughs) well okay so i don't i don't think it's as cramped at like okay so new england is definitely more congested yeah The more west you go, the more open it gets. But we are in Maryland. I don't know if you know where that is. Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, so near a D.C. area-ish. And people here drive really crazy. So They use the horn as part of the equipment in the car, like on a daily basis. Like I don't ever really beat my horn, ever. Whereas I know that you guys over there, it's like beeping the horn is just what you do to get around. Yeah, you, you can't go a day of driving without somebody beeping the horn or being like if the light turns green you better hit the gas otherwise someone's going to be <laughs> honking at you it's totally different over here because you know what we're like we're so kind of restrained and you know very polite to each other so if someone beeps the horn you kind of every driver looks over and goes what were you thinking how <laughs> dare you do that it's like a real you know it's like a really offensive thing to do over here yeah, I, I don't know where where Americans learn that. I just feel like a lot of Americans don't know how to drive. So then they're but like... Your driving test is, is quite easy, isn't it, compared to ours? I've heard that, yeah. But before what do you have to we... do to pass? Because for us, you have to do loads of stuff. Well, let's uh, hold that question oh, until sure. a little bit later. <laughs> we want to dive into your crazy stories first, sure. and then we'll get cool. into the comparisons. Like, and we can get to learn the differences and similarities between our countries. What would you say is the top three craziest or funniest driving stories that you have experienced? I've got to tell you, there's the first one that immediately jumps to my mind is when you work in radio, there's certain um, big name people that you want to meet and interview. And I've met a few people in my time, you know, traveling around the country. They tend to have big events that are put on. And actually, when I lived in Cambridge, there was this thing called the Cambridge Union at the university where a lot of speakers from around the world came to talk. And they'd invited Robert Downey Jr. of Iron Man, all the films fame. Uh, And he was turning up in person. 
Um, and I had really wanted to meet him and talk to him, and I'd applied through the you know the university press team, and I'd spoken to his management team, and I'd you know I said please can I come along, and they said I'm really sorry, there's no space. I said okay whatever. So on that day I was driving quite far away from Cambridge, about 45 minutes away. Uh, I was going to London, and on the way I got a phone call, and they said oh um, Robert Downey Jr. There is a space, and you can interview him. And you've got to get here in the next 45 minutes. And I was exactly 45 minutes away. So I was like, hmm, I think I do want to meet Robert Downey <laughs> Jr. So I turned the car around within the speed limit, completely bombed it along the motorway to try and get back to Cambridge. And just as we were approaching Cambridge, there was a huge, the world's biggest traffic jam. And I thought, I'm not going to make it. They've, uh, they've told me that I can meet Robert Downey Jr. I'm not going to make it. And I was getting closer and closer to this, uh, the, the Cambridge Union where he was doing the talk. Um, and I thought, I'm ditching the car. Forget it. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ditch the car. And I found somewhere to park, which was about, let's say, a mile away. And I shoved the car into this parking space. And it was just the wheels were just hanging out the back of the parking space. And I thought, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm seeing Robert Downey Jr. I sprinted along the road <laughs> as fast as I could. And as I, as I sort of burst into the building and stood in the press line right on the end he entered the room so i did actually get to meet and speak to robert downey jr so he comes down the line and they all ask him these questions they're really boring questions you know like oh you know is it nice to be in cambridge and he's like yes great to be here thanks very much and then i got to ask my question which was you know what are you going to talk about to students? Like, how are you going to inspire them? And he actually gave a really nice answer. You know, he, he was quite like forthcoming. And it was amazing. It was one of the best interviews I've ever done. It was a brilliant moment. And I went back to my car. And as I got there, there was a parking warden. And he was giving me a ticket. I said, excuse me, I've just interviewed Robert Downey Jr. Can you just let me off this ticket? <laughs> and he went, sorry, mate but your wheel is a few inches past the line. And I said, what? I didn't understand that that was the law, that if your wheel was out of the line, that you deserved a ticket. So, so I said, oh, uh, can you let me off? And he went, no, sorry. And I went, well, that's okay. I'm happy because I've had a nice day. And that was it. I got a £200 uh, parking ticket to interview Robert Downey Jr. But in my mind, it was worth it, so... Totally well, worth it. well, if you think about it, people pay lots of money to go see celebrities at events. You kind of did it indirectly. It was so cool, though. He was, I must say, he was um, very off the cuff. You know, like he didn't have anything scripted and he didn't have anything planned. He was just happy to answer whatever. So he was a really cool guy. And I, yeah, I had a good day, but my bank was a little bit sore after that. But it was well worth it. Oh, yeah. I don't regret it. Was this the same moment where you had to change your tire at three in the morning that was actually really recently oh <laughs> i can tell you about my tire changing story because that was that was fun so I, occasionally i work down so i live in epping now as I, as I mentioned and it's about uh 20 minutes to my local station so very very close they usually ask me to do the really early show that starts at four in the morning now, I, I mean, you know, if they listen to this, I'm very happy to say to them that I cut it very close to the wire and I get up at 3 a.m. I drive for half an hour and I just get in a little bit before showtime. Mics go live and we're there. There's not really much leeway, but it's fine at four in the morning. You know, there's never any traffic. 
but I must have on this day about uh, probably about six months ago, I must have hit the world's biggest pothole, which was I would say it was about do you do feet or or centimeters? What do you prefer in the US? Are you are you inches or centimeters? Where the weirdos that use inches. <laughs> oh no, that's cool. We get that. We get that over here. So this pothole was about uh ten foot long, really massive, and about three foot wide, and about let's say two or three inches deep so absolutely massive and i couldn't see it because it was misty foggy morning and i was driving along at you know 3 15 a.m and i got a puncture and uh pulled to the side of the road and i thought i'm never i'm just not going to make it for showtime there's no way there's absolutely no way and i've never changed a tire in my life before (laughs) and i thought well i'm gonna have to try (laughs) because otherwise i'm gonna get in trouble here i looked up a youtube video on my phone of how to change a tire turns out that they're quite good actually so i managed to get all the kit out of the back of the car and you know wrench off the wheel nuts and uh jack up the the tire and stuff like that and i I really felt like i was you know quite quite doing quite well here and i did in fact manage to change my tire over which was a you know like a low pressure tire so you have to drive very slowly and I got the tyre changed over, put back on, drove to the station, and I got into the building at 3.59 and 30 seconds. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was supposed to be starting at four on the dot. So I ran in, sat down on the chair. You've got to press four buttons to take control. I pressed the four buttons, and I went, good morning. Welcome to BBC Essays. This is Huey Lewis and the News. The power of love. Press the song. And that was it. And I made it. Wow. (laughs) It was tight, though. (laughs) Wow, I would have been so stressed out. Like, I wouldn't have been able to get in the mode to start recording, like, do the radio. (laughs) There's, There's the worst thing in life, as I'm sure you know from podcasting, is if you're out of breath and you've got to talk you can't hide it (laughs) and you can't there's no recovery time when you're the one talking so you just have to just accept your fate and just talk very very briefly so i talked briefly and i i mean i did tell the boss and she was she's amazing so she was very understanding but uh, i was pleased i got there yeah you got really lucky there and a youtube video helped you figure it out (laughs) I know it's amazing, isn't it? Nowadays, I'd have to. Ph- oh, I did try phoning the boss at three fifteen in the morning, but uh, she, funnily enough, she didn't pick up the phone then. So it was. I had to resort to YouTube. Yep. Whenever you need help, YouTube's away. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. I'm really interested since you have been describing driving and all these incidents you've had, like mm. to dive into what driving in UK is like and how would you describe the drivers that are there. I would say that there's a lot of regional differences, like you were saying in uh, the US, that the further west you go, the roads get a bit clearer. I would actually say that the closer to London you get in the UK, the driving standards get a lot worse. There's like a big ring road around London called the M25, which everyone jokes it's like a stationary car park because the cars just simply don't move. Uh, And there's a road inside that, like a smaller ring uh, called the North Circular which sort of circles London. And it is the probably the worst driving that I've ever seen. Like the speed limits are, you know, 50 miles an hour and people are going 90, 100. They just, they just don't care. They just race as fast as they can, uh, especially late at night, actually. It's almost like they are trying to race. Whereas in the, in the rural areas, it tends to be much clearer. There just tends to be one big motorway and, and you know, on average, they're, they're safer. 
so I would say that yeah, that it's almost like driving standards slide the more central you go. Wow, like I I agree that like the closer you get to a city, a major city, yeah. the driving gets way way crazier. I definitely prefer back roads and yeah. Uh, driving out in the country because there's nobody on the roads do you have a lot of people on their phones out there because i've noticed recently if i'm if i'm walking through town uh, as a, just a, a, pede- a pedestrian and i look at the traffic lights every every single person well like 80 percent of people are checking their phones and i think what on earth are you doing it's a big problem here in maryland either they're on their phone or they're like looking in the mirror or they're eating food. I don't know. They're doing stuff other than driving. <laughs> I must confess that with my long drives that I did become a bit of an expert eating uh, burgers while driving, which I don't recommend. I mean, it's not it doesn't really work. Uh, you've got to do a lot of pre-preparation. So you've got to get like napkins sort of laid out on yourself because when you're driving, you want to be as safe as you can. And to take a bite of a burger, that lettuce and the insides can just go anywhere. And you really don't need that in your life. Oh, I've got to tell you this. You know, a lot of people have coffee cup holders in their cars. Well, one time I they gave me the, the you know, the burger and the fries and whatever. And then the coffee. And I put the coffee between my legs just to just to leave it there for a second. Just unthinking. And I was going to move it to the coffee holder. And then I pulled away and it spilt on me. <laughs> and it was still so it, it ruined my jeans. And, and I mean, it, it was hot. And then I had to go to work for the rest of the day because obviously I was so far away from home and I just had to sm- smell like coffee, shall we say, <laughs> today. It was my least least good time. Yeah, that's what I worry about since we also have longer drives. I have gotten pretty good at eating food while driving because like yeah. we spend so much time on the road. It's just like that's my time to eat. Yeah. But yeah, I've always in the back of my mind just thought like maybe I should just keep an extra pair of clothing <laughs> just in do case. Know, do you know, I actually, after that incident, I did keep an extra pair of clothing in my car. So I kept full change of clothes, like a shirt, you know, jeans and shoes and everything, just in case it happened. But luckily after that, I never actually had to use it. But I would actually recommend if you are doing a long drive and you've got obviously space in the back, it's actually a really good idea because you just if you're that far away from home, you just never know. Yeah. Always good to be prepared. Yeah. And I know you mentioned that you have done road trips to like France. So I want to know. I don't know. In France, do they drive on the right or the left? It's the opposite side to us. So it's the same side as you, which means it's on the right side. But the weird thing about France compared to the UK is that the roundabouts go the same way around as the UK. So they go clockwise. Whereas I think your roundabouts go anti-clockwise, don't they? Yes. How does that work? it really hurts your brain. They've got this other rule where in France, it's one of the only countries where if you're on the roundabout, let's say you're in the circular bit, you have to let people on it's called something like the rule of uh priority to the right uh i think it's called priorité à droite which means that you have to let people on to the roundabout and of course as a as someone who's driven from the uk to france when you get off the ferry there's a big sign on the roundabout saying go round this way <laughs> and i sort of looked at it and thought this is this is not going to be a good time here it's uh it, has, it hurts your brain so careful if you go to France, don't go the way that you think. That's so weird. Also, like, especially where you have to let people 
onto the roundabout. I thought it was always like, you know, you're in it. So people have to wait for you. Totally. I know. I I think they need to think twice about their road regulations. (laughs) Now I'm curious how often that causes accidents or problems. Like, do people get confused or is it something they were coming out of the airport? They definitely were. So I, I imagine that it's actually probably worse the closer you get to an airport over there. Yeah, I I can't imagine. Wow, that would make my brain hurt too, even though they're driving on the right. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, oh, my God. So now that we heard a couple of your crazy driving stories, let's get to know more about you as a driver. So yeah. how would you describe yourself as a driver? And would you say that your family and friends would agree with that? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think I'm a good driver because... In the uh, 13 years that I've been driving, I've never had any points. So I think that's quite a good run. I would say that I'm probably a bit of a slow driver. I think my wife would certainly agree that she would like me to hurry up. She's not a very good passenger in the car. So when I'm driving, she she kind of... We brake in a different way when we drive around, okay? So I like to brake early and then drift towards the stopping point, whereas she likes to let the car run quite far forward and then brake, bringing it to a harsh stop. And obviously that means that she gets there quicker than me. But I have had no incidents, so <laughs> I would say that I'm I'm a good driver. But I think that people would say I'm I'm certainly on the slower side. But maybe that comes with doing forty thousand miles a year. You know, you just want to get there in one piece rather than saving yourself two minutes. You know, two minutes on a two and a half an hour drive doesn't really make a difference to me. Yeah, when you actually think of it that way, it's like, yeah, you're going faster, but like, how far are you truly gonna get than I am going the exactly. speed limit? Well, the other thing that I <laughs> I did work out that if I drove uh, sort of like 60 miles an hour to my workplace, that the drive would cost about 30 pounds or something. Whereas if I drove at 70 miles an hour, it cost about 35 pounds. So it's quite every you do that five days a week, 25 quid, which is what's that like 40 something dollars, isn't it? Ish. You'd want to save that every week, wouldn't you? If you could help it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially with the rising gas prices. (laughs) Yeah. save all the money you can <laughs> what's the price what's the price where you are because our uh, i've got a diesel but it's quite a small car and it's about one pound 31 per liter so that's must be about one dollar 60 let's say is that one dollar 55 60 what so have you got diesel's more expensive here in the u.s and um so that would i think that's at like almost four dollars per yeah. gallon Whoa. but um, the other one that's more common here is, yes. yeah, is around almost three dollars per gallon. Quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, they know how to get us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially here, it's like you can't survive without a car in most places. Yeah. So it's like that's how they get you. Well, public transport. Apart, I'm lucky because I'm the London Underground, which kind of connects up London to the surrounding, you know, Greater London area. Luckily, where I am, and one of the reasons we chose to live where we are is because it's on the end of the um, London Underground tube line that we call it. So Epping Station is right at the northeast side, which means I don't now really have to drive to work very much because I now work in central London. But the further out of the country you go, if you're rural in a rural area, you have to drive because the buses come once a week. So you, you ain't getting to work on the bus. Yeah, I, I totally understand how that is because we don't even have a bus that comes up to where we live. 
Yeah, too far exactly. Well, speaking of other drivers on the road, what would you say is your biggest driving pet peeve? Oh, I'm going to tell you now. You don't even need to think about this. Two lorries on a motorway, which is two lanes, and one is going 59 miles an hour, and the other one's trying to overtake it at 59.1 miles an hour. <laughs> and this happened to me every day for about three years in a dual carriageway on the way. I used to live in Norwich and we were going over to Lincoln, Lincolnshire, which was the two and a half hour drive that I've been mentioning. And you just could not get around these. And then one of them would just overtake what? Like just overtake the truck. And you think, oh, well done, you did it. And then the next one would pull out and try and re-overtake the one who just overtook it. It's like the world's most rubbish Formula One race. So, I, I mean, endless. Oh, it's cost me, it's probably cost me only minutes, but it feels like it's cost me my sanity, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, we've had a similar instance where, it's, well, it was us. So, us in a dump truck. And we're like, <laughs> we overtook it because it was kind of going slow. But then it overtook us because I guess it didn't like how fast we were going. And then we overtook <laughs> it because it was throwing stuff at us. And then we just oh. kept going back and forth. Oh. Do you drive together a lot then? Usually on our road trips, we go together, but our works are in slightly different directions. So sure. it wouldn't make sense to ride together. But it would have been convenient in terms of saving gas if it was possible to ride together. Well, at least you get the fun times. You'll never argue on the way to work, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> well, aside from that very slow overtaking, have you ever experienced road rage while driving, whether it was you who had road rage or someone who's had road rage towards you? Oh, that's a good question. Have I had it? I'm a, I'm a very calm person, so it would take a lot for me to have road rage i have been in the car before actually it was on a school bus we used to get the bus to school and our school bus driver got road rage <laughs> because the cars were going very slowly in front of him and so he decided to reverse and try a different route to get around this kind of blockage in the road because he was getting really furious this teacher of ours uh, and he reversed into a tree <laughs> and then the back bumper fell off the school bus and he and he made us get out and pick up the bumper all together and shove it inside the school bus and then we got back on and then he drove a different route and we we got to school that's probably the angriest i've ever seen someone <laughs> driving to be honest with you he's very very unhappy that the bumper had come off because he but then he hit the tree so what did he expect oh my gosh <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and then yeah, he's like it? you no. you and you get out and get the bumper <laughs> It was, there was like eight of us. <laughs> it was a massive, you know, like a big yellow school bus kind of thing. It was one of them. And the wow. bumper was actually really heavy and really big and made of metal because they're not normally metal. They're normally like plasticky. That's the angriest I've ever seen someone. But I'm, I'm quite chilled, to be honest with you. And also when you drive on motorways, you don't, unless there's slow traffic, you don't tend to get as many really bad drivers and they don't tend to be right up your tail kind of thing. Well, you're lucky there because um, even if you're not on like a motorway, people will be driving on your bumper at all times. That is true. And I'm very slow. So but I'm quite zen about it, though. I just think I'd rather I like I said, I'd rather get there in one piece. And actually, sometimes if they look like they want to overtake, I'm very I'll slow down more so they can make it easy for them kind of thing. So maybe I shouldn't maybe I should be more angry. No, I think you have the right attitude. I feel like there should be more people who are like that 
because I see way too many people getting angry over small little things that are just like, why are you wasting your energy on this? We're all trying to get somewhere. It's not like, you know, saving a couple minutes. Okay. Like it's not going to make that much of a difference. And I also agree with you that when I see people who are like super eager, I'm just like, okay, I'll just get out of your way. Let you do your thing. Yeah. I think I very rarely want to beat someone at the lights or anything like that as well. I think I have, I think I have, if a, if a car's annoyed me in some way by like cutting me up and I get to the lights, I sometimes look over and I'm like, I'm going to beat you off this line here. But then my car's only a Ford Fiesta. So really I haven't got a chance. So I, I can try, but you know, I will get beaten by almost anything. That's hilarious. <laughs> I know you're talking, we touched on, we started to touch on this a little bit earlier, but now that we know what kind of driver you are currently, let's dive a little bit into how your driving started. How would you describe your first time driving experience and who was it with? So I had uh, a driving lesson was my first ever experience of driving, which I think is a good way of doing it because you don't have your parents in the car terrified that you're going to smash up their own car with no dual controls or anything. So I was lucky that I had a lesson as my first experience and the teacher had uh, a second pair of accelerate brake and clutch. So it was like designed for driving which I think is amazing. I don't really know how it works. Um, then I had a few lessons with my dad in the car and he was not such a good teacher as the driving instructor. And he used to make me go down our cul-de-sac road and I, he'd make me go into first gear, second gear, third gear, fourth gear, fifth gear, neutral, and then keep cycling through the gears like that. And of course, because I didn't know what the biting point was, because automatic cars aren't really a thing over here. Not whereas I'm, you mostly have automatics over there, don't you? In, in the US, yeah. yes, we do. <laughs> right. So, so this is this is why our driving test is so difficult. You've got to find the biting point with the clutch. And to somebody who does never had to do that, it doesn't mean it. You know what? What on earth is the biting point? So I was stalling my dad's car time and time and time again, and obviously he was getting a bit unhappy because it was his car, and I was damaging the engine. I didn't enjoy that experience at all. And I did say after the few times with him, look, I'd rather just not do it with you. I know you're trying to help, but it's just not not particularly useful for me. Although I did have an automatic for a few years and it was the best, best driving experience of my life because you just, the car does it all for you. Amazing. <laughs> and it actually, this, this was a really old car. It was a 2004 uh, registration car. I think it was a Vauxhall Astra. And it had a button on it that said sport mode. And you press this button and because it was so old, nothing happened except for that the light lit up on the button. And that was the only difference that it made to the driving experience. <laughs> so I'd be like sport mode, engage, press the Woo. button and then just nothing happens. <laughs> but I love my automatic. I must say if people are very, you know, in the UK, they really love their manual gearboxes. But I'll tell you what. I'd, I'd get an automatic any day of the week. I love them. So I know you were mentioning earlier when you were taking driver's ed. Driver's ed? Well, Is that what you're talking I don't know if that's uh, what you call it. We call it the driver's test. But yeah, the drive, driver's education. Yeah, yeah. So here, I know we, like, they, I think now they make you practice with your parents first before you get in the car with the driver instructor who teaches yeah. you because they want to make sure you have some driving under your belt. Sure. So... That's interesting that, you know, you get in there first with them and then you learned with your dad. 
Yeah, well, we had to. It was interesting with us because we have to have a called like a theory test, which means you have to sit before you get your provisional license, before you're actually allowed to get in the car. You have to pass. When I did it, it was a 30 question test and you have to get like uh, 25 out of 30 or something like that in order to be allowed to actually even, you know, get get near the car. Um, and actually now I think it's a legal requirement before you can have your, you know, part, you actually take your driving test. They've made it even harder now. I think it's a 40 question test now, which is quite a lot. So they make it quite tough to get a driving license in the UK. But I suppose it's good. I did appreciate knowing. But things I don't understand, like it says, you know, your tire depth tread needs to be four millimeters minimum. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go out with a tape measure and, you know, I'm just going to look at it and see if it looks fine. Like, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, who's going to do that? No. Yeah, I guess it's quite different for us. Yeah, I mean, we do have to take a test before, a written test before you can get your provisional or your learner's permit. But yours sounds way more complicated. Ours is like 20 questions and nothing that detailed. (laughs) Yeah, well, it was lucky with us, though, because they gave us a book which sort of had like 100 questions that they chose R30 from. So it was kind of like as long as you read this book a few times, uh, I'm sure it was to sell copies of the book, to be honest, but it it would it did make it slightly easier than just having to guess what they were going to throw at you. Oh, that's interesting. That's actually I feel like makes it a little easier. I remember I found my mom's driving a book when in like one of our wardrobes and she actually had something similar like that which was a while ago before we took our test obviously and she had a book of questions like what types of questions they might ask but i don't think they give questions now i think it's just like here's a book of like these are the rules of the road and be ready (laughs) to answer the questions do you have like a highway code book then because we do have like a, a highway code which is like the official rules of the road kind of they just give you this very small book that it's like here's a general this is how you drive this is what you should do like when you're at a light where should i turn kind of thing oh i see no the highway code's like 500 pages long or something ridiculous it's got like all the really specific rules of like a pelican crossing means you have to wait for the person to get halfway it's like really specific oh wow yeah Yeah. i feel like really just making the test super easy that you don't really need to know anything yeah like you get a license you get a license But that's, I think, a UK license. Uh, you can drive in most other countries in the world because I think it's seen as like quite a string, you know, stringent, difficult test to get through. Um, I don't know what happens if someone from America is in the UK. I guess, uh, do you? Would you be able to drive in the UK, or would you have to do like an extra bit of test or something? I'm not a hundred percent sure since we've never had to do it. But I feel you like should road trip over here. <laughs> it was our plan last year, but you know, you know, yeah. well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think some of the guests we've talked to who are from the U.S. who like traveled and have driven, I think you can get like an international license, and you should be good. Oh yeah, like, I don't think you have to do yeah, yeah. that like testing or anything. That but I'm not hundred percent positive. So. <laughs> But speaking of your driving test, what was that like? Like, what do you have to do on the driving test? And were you able to pass the first time? I'm just going to come clean right now and say that it took me four times to pass my uh, driving test. So I'm just going to say it now. And I'm just going to say this is the most embarrassing story of my life. I failed my driving test the third time because I drove too slowly. Oh, no. Okay. 
I'm just going to confess it now to the world. I haven't told very many people this, but it was a 50 mile an hour limit and it was really raining. So I thought, oh, I don't want to go 50 in this. I, I drove 30 miles an hour and I thought, that's fine. You know, 30 miles an hour is OK. Apparently not. So they failed me for driving too slowly. But so it hasn't been raining. a great experience learning to drive for me. Yeah, I feel like when it's raining or when there's like snowing or something that they should be a little more lenient in terms of how slow you're going because it's not sunny day that you can just drive like a normal, you know, like normal. Yeah, well, the, well my trick was that I failed three times and I got really frustrated because I thought that my driving was actually quite good and I was being very careful and attentive and, you know, stuff like this. And so the fourth time I asked my driving instructor to sit in the back of the uh, driving test. So she sat behind me and then the uh, person who was testing me was sat in the front seat. And we did the fourth time we did this test. And we have to do this thing where you reverse around a corner backwards uh, to the left. And you're supposed to reverse, park up to the side. But if there's like a pedestrian, you're supposed to stop completely and wait for them to clear the area and then carry on with your maneuver. And so I did this reverse around the corner perfectly. And then I just was about to put the handbrake on, which meant that you completed the move. And this pedestrian ran out right next to the car. And I didn't stop immediately. I just kind of slowly eased to a halt. And I, look, I was looking behind me, obviously, to reverse. And I could see my driving instructor in the back seat giving me the death stare. She was like, you failed your test again, haven't you? And then she was looking at me like, like really give me the evil eyes. For some reason, I got away with it. And the, the um, guy who was, uh, you know, grading me didn't think it was a problem. So for my fourth time, luckily, I managed to pass. Well, at least he didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness for that. I wouldn't be here otherwise. I wouldn't be on this podcast. <laughs> well, I can totally relate and let you know that you're not alone. I also did fail three times and got it on my fourth try. So you're not alone. <laughs> High five. High five across across the pond. <laughs> now who's the odd one out? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you pass first time? First of all, she took it in a car and I took it in a van. So that oh, made wow. it <laughs> easier. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Once I got past parallel parking, I was like, oh, I got this. But then when I got on the road, there was this little hill that the speed was 30 miles an hour. And we're going down this hill and then the car crept up to 35 because it was a little too steep, I guess. And I was holding the yeah. brakes, but then she looked, the driving test person looked over and she was like, the next time the speed goes up to that, you're going to fail. I was like, oh, so she said it straight up. Yeah, she's like, hold the brakes. I'm like, I am holding the brakes. <laughs> but she didn't fail me. She was really, she was super nice. So I passed. Oh. <laughs> yeah. She... That's my, my biggest fear of the driving test was a hill start. So they used to make you do this, where you park up, obviously, with quite a steep incline, put the handbrake on, and then they say, right now, pull away. And because the getting that biting point is so difficult with the uh, manual test, it just used to fill me with fear. And I was so, so worried that I'd stall and then pull out into the road. And it used to give me real anxiety. And I tell you what, uh, since then, I've never, ever had to do a hill start. For some reason, I've just been mostly on flat roads. So that was my, oh, the panic, the terror of that is awful. Yeah, I'm glad our test was with an automatic car because I can't imagine <laughs> having it's to do that. And then, yeah, because we have to parallel park first, at least at our local 
DMV or like where you take your test, yeah. they make yeah. you parallel park first because that's what everyone fails at. So if you Ooh. if you don't pass that, like, what's the point of taking you on the road? <laughs> that's the way they they had it. So that's what always got me was like parallel parking. Yeah, in the van. So I ended up going to the headquarters in our state because everyone said it was so much easier there, and they were right because they like give you so much space for the parallel parking, whereas at our local DMV, it was just the size of the van. But down there, it was like I had so much space in front and behind that I was like, mm-hmm. I can do. <laughs> But it's interesting you say that because actually in the UK, there was like they published the statistics of all the places that did the tests. And it turned out that some places in areas were easier and giving a higher passes uh, than other areas. So people used to then go to the easy test centers. Um, I don't know if it's the roads were easier or if the routes were easier. But I tell you what, doing it in a massive van, I've only driven a massive van probably a couple of times in my life when I was moving house. Um, so stressful driving a big van. I just don't know how anyone does it. So I have maximum respect for van drivers and lorry drivers and those huge vehicles because I couldn't even hack it for a couple of days. Yeah, it takes practice. But no, taking a test on a big vehicle is just super hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, so glad I took it on a car. <laughs> <laughs> Now that we've heard a little bit about your past driving experience and your current driving experience, let's dive into the future of driving. With the possibility of self-driving cars possibly becoming a thing, probably not like relatively soon, but maybe in the future, what are your thoughts on this and would you get in that car? I would be the first person to sign up for a self-driving car. I love the idea of self-driving cars. If I could sit in the back and watch Netflix and the car drives itself, of course I'm going to get in it. I'd love that. I'd love to watch episodes of anything. I'm watching, uh, you know, Loki at the moment. But anything, I'd watch it. I'd watch it in the back and let the car drive itself. I don't like the cars where you have to hold the wheel, though. I think that's too involved. I think it's either a self-driving car or it's not. And my logic is that humans are a bit rubbish sometimes, let's be honest. And we don't. it's so hard to pay attention 100% to the roads all the time and very often i'm sure you've done it when you're driving along and then 10 minutes later you just think i completely zoned out then what did i do for the last 10 minutes the computer doesn't zone out the computer is designed to follow the road and whatever now i know that there's going to be a 0.01 percent of the time where there's an accident and because it's a machine people will say ah well if it was a human in control of the car then it might not have happened and i totally get that but I think that the the incident rates would be so much lower if machines are driving that I think it's a no brainer. And, you know, sign me up if I don't have to focus. I'm well up for it. I agree that it would make things a lot more efficient. I feel like I don't know if it's just an American thing, but I feel like we're like car crazy over here and we're like, I must drive. I love my car. Yeah. (laughs) I guess there's a, a feeling of power and you're in control and. I know that that's probably taps into like the idea of the American dream quite heavily where, you know, you've got your car and your job and your house. And, you know, if you work hard and, you know, you can get to the top and, and having the control of the car and, you know, I can go and drive two hours if I want and stuff. I, I totally get that. And that's not a million miles away from what it's like here. I just think that I can only really speak for myself, but we kind of would be happy to let the technology do a bit more. I know some people like the idea of assisted driving, which can be great for people who struggle, obviously, to drive. But I really just I just don't want to have to focus on the roads at all. You know, (laughs) 
I'd very happily, like I say, watch telly or eat food without having to stress about it falling on me. I think it'd be good. So I'd get one. But they're just so expensive. And electric cars are so expensive. You know, it's going to be a while. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, like when you had those four hour commutes, you could Mm. use the time for something else as opposed to physically. (laughs) Yeah. You'll be well rested when you get there. <laughs> 100%. Well, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm coming from. I think it's more for longer drives. Like, I think it's not as useful for, you know, popping to Tesco's. Like, I'm sure I can focus for five minutes down the road. But it's definitely for those longer journeys where if you're starting it, drowsiness can cause such huge problems. Like, bring it on. Bonus question time. Are you that's ready? Not... I'm excited for this. If you could make one new driving law, what would it be? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Really good. One new driving law. Yeah. Exactly. I th- okay. No, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it already. <laughs> People should have to listen to awesome music when they're driving by law. Because the problem is that when people are sitting in the traffic lights and they're like, oh, I've just had enough for this day. I just, you know, just want to get home and whatever. It would be much better if you had like the meatloaf on or something. Well, like you just uh, just some fun tunes, you know, lift everybody's mood. And also, think people by law should have to dance at the traffic lights. So when you're there and you're waiting for the light to go red, you should have to look over to your driver to the left or the right, and you should have to be like raving in the car. I think that would make everybody's life better. It would solve road rage problems. I think that you know the joy levels would go up. People would be f- more focused on the roads. Uh, this is my new law. That's hilarious. I could uh, just picture like either at the traffic signals, there's like a sign like, all right, it's red light. So time to dance. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. Well, my wife actually does it when she's a passenger and we're driving around. She likes to listen to 90s music, which is terrible, but I'll let her get away with it. And uh, she looks over to the other drivers and she does. She like dances to them and it always cheers them up. Well, there you go. So, now you know it, it would work. Yeah. Well, we tra- we tested it. We're serious about this law. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine like maybe when self-driving cars do become a thing that it just instructs you like, okay, it's time for this now. <laughs> we're not pulling away until you start dancing. That would be, be hilarious. Awesome. <laughs> do you have any final thoughts or any tips that you would like to give other drivers? I know it sounds a bit boring, but... If you drive on the edge at 70 miles an hour, which it is, you know, on our motorways here and you're stressing about getting there and, you know, you've got only two minutes to spare before you've got to be at work. It really does ease the pressure off if you just take it a fraction slower and then also maybe leave yourself an extra five minutes because then you can stop off and get a coffee or whatever. Don't don't drive on the edge because I think that makes your anxiety and, you know, anger and focus and stress just go up a bit more. And it's easy to say we're so we're all so busy. You know, it's hard to you want to leave as late as you can because you want maximum time in bed uh, like I do. But I have found uh, after driving for 40,000 miles for, you know, a good, good few years that the overall impact is better if you just take it a fraction easier. That's all. Yeah, and it doesn't make as much of a difference in the time it takes you to get there. And save you the money. Save the money at the pump. I mean, if if, if you only care about that, that's a, quite a big saving. <laughs> that's a good incentive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before we let you go, we want to give you an opportunity to plug anything. I know you have a podcast of your own, so where can mm. listeners find that? We are on iTunes and Spotify and all the places. And basically, um, my wife and I, we work in broadcasting together. So we've got this podcast called um, Work-Wife Balance, where we talk about what it's like 
being married, but also working in the same building and essentially never having a break from each other, <laughs> which is actually quite fun. And we've just finished our first series and we are now right in the middle of moving house. In fact, I'm surrounded by boxes right now because we've packed up the house and we're moving tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm so glad to talk to you because this is such a nice break from packing. Um, and then once we've moved into our new place, a few doors down, we'll go for series two um, for work. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was really interesting to finally get the perspective of UK drivers. So happy to be the first. <laughs> thank you both for having me. Chris's driving law is another one that I truly loved. I feel like his was a fun law, like the other Chris, which is funny. Both Chris's made funny laws that kind of related yes. to each other. But the first Chris from this season talked about how if we had like a mood detection horn or a celebratory horn, that was more like a happy horn as opposed mm -hmm. to get out of my way, you did this wrong or pay attention kind of horn. And Chris, this episode talked about like a dance party at red lights. We also kind of got into what if the light detected that you didn't do it and wouldn't let you leave. <laughs> you can't leave you until you dance. <laughs> Would you participate in this red light dance party? <laughs> that would be so weird. But I mean, I I definitely think it would help reduce stress because it's like, just get out and dance. All right, continue on your way. Yeah. I feel like I would be super self-conscious at first. I even hate taking pictures at traffic lights because I'm like, that person's watching me do this right now. But why yeah. would you be taking pictures at traffic lights? Like if something crazy is going on, yeah, to like yeah. get content. <laughs> I'm not driving. I'm stopped at a red light. I feel like I'd be super conscious. But if everyone had to do it. It's a law. Yeah. Then, then I feel like it would be less awkward. Yeah. And then you get to see what kind of weird dance moves people have it also is like what tune are you going to because elevator music so then they have traffic light music what would it what would this traffic light music be what if you could or sponsor yourself to be at a traffic light and then like your songs are at traffic lights what if you could bluetooth connect to that light for whatever you want to dance to? and then you guys like can put your song on <laughs> that would that would be cool it's like pick your song but you better dance otherwise you're not going anywhere it's like oh this car can pass. This lane mm -hmm. cannot pass. And would it be the first person in line? Because I don't think the signal can go that far back. Like the first person in line oh. at the red light would have to do it. Nobody would ever want to be the first person at a light ever again. <laughs> yeah, it's like a gun it, make it through. <laughs> or I'll just wait here behind five cars. Yeah, that would be funny. Well, we hope you enjoyed listening to Chris's driving stories. Be sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode to hear a sneak peek of next week's driver, Dan Grack from Australia. And he shares about the time that his Jeep rolled down a hill into a rock wall, police bribery, and much more. Thank you for tuning in this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support the show by sharing it with your friends or leaving us a review. It truly does help us get discovered. And thank you for choosing to drive with us again this week. And we'll see you next week. Uh, it's quite an embarrassing story, actually, because <laughs> I wasn't even in the driver's seat at the time. So my Jeep, I drove it all the way around Africa. So it had done a lot of miles and the handbrake, the emergency brake didn't work very well. So I was in Uganda, this really remote spot. I came over a hill and there was Lake Albert in front of me, this beautiful lake. And I really wanted to get a photo. So I parked the Jeep. It was on a little bit of a hill and I got out to take a photo. And so I walked maybe like 20 yards away from the Jeep and it started to roll down the hill by itself.